Hello and welcome to Year Active's Agri-Food Podcast. I'm Natasha Foote. And I'm Gerardo Fortuna. And here's your weekly update on all things agriculture and food in the EU from Euactiv's Agri-Food News Team. Our top story uh, this week is actually uh, an interview that we're going to do. Uh, mm. But just a bit of background uh, before uh, talking with our guests. So basically there was this um, uh, conference uh, last week, uh, the third European conference on uh, Xylella fastidiosa. Xylella fastidiosa is... Uh, you say that very well. You sound like a scientist. Yeah. <laughs> of course, I mean, the, the scientist of the couple is actually uh, Natasha. But, <laughs> Here we go again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so basically, this um, this is a pest. It's a bacteria, actually. But of course, it's a pest of the... Um, that is mostly affecting olive trees uh, in the Mediterranean areas. Mm. But we will talk about this with our guests. Uh, At the same time, uh, I also have to announce that we have an exclusive clip. Oh, my goodness. I can't tell you, by the way, for everyone listening, how excited Gerardo has been for this exclusive. (laughs) It's, It's a big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> let's start the interview first and then we, we're going to listen to something very, very exclusive. What a teaser. Yeah. So our first guest today is uh, Maria Saponari from the Institute for Sustainable Prime Protection, uh, a branch of Italy's National Research Council, which is the, the biggest public research uh, institution in Italy. Thanks, Maria, for being with us. So, uh, Maria, can you tell us a bit more about this Xylella uh, bacterium? Xylella fastidiosa is a plant pathogenic uh, bacterium uh, already well known as the causal agent of severe diseases uh, on crops in several American countries. What makes uh, this pathogen uh, particularly dangerous uh, is uh, its ability to infect hundreds and hundreds of plant species. And uh, in fact, the latest update of the database in which all the uh, susceptible host plants uh, are uh, listed account for more than 500 plant species that can succumb to the infection caused by this bacterium. Uh, In that, uh, the bacterium can be spread in the crops uh, by a multitude of insect species. Uh, We call them vectors or carrier of the bacterium. So um, these two aspects together make the management program uh, again uh, to control the disease caused by this bacterium very complex as uh, uh, we need to tackle several uh, plants and several insect species. And can you give us an idea of what the situation in Europe is right now and you know which areas are the most affected? This pathogen in Europe emerged uh, only recently. It is, in fact, uh, considered an exotic pathogen uh, introduced uh, recently on the EU territory. Um, It was discovered for the first time uh, in southern Italy when uh, in uh, in this part of of Europe a deadly uh, olive disease uh, appeared in the region of Apulia and raising major concerns. Investigation on this uh, disease unfortunately revealed that uh, these uh, olive trees were infected by Xylella. And after this finding, uh, mandatory programs uh, to survey all the uh, 
the territories in, in Europe. So all member states started uh, specific programs to, to search for this pathogen, uh, led to discover outbreaks in several uh, southern Europe areas, uh, like in Corsica, in mainland France, uh, in Spain, in the uh, Balearic Island, and uh, most recently uh, in Portugal. And uh, it's actually interesting because, um, so how do you monitor the, the spread or, or the penetration of this, uh, um, of this uh, pathogen? We monitor the pathogen with a molecular test, by, with a, a diagnostic test. And I have to say that uh, has a sequencing uh, is uh, currently an important tool to investigate the variants of SARS-CoV-2 in the pandemic uh, we, we unfortunately are experiencing. The same is for Xylella. And in Europe, we conducted a massive uh, sequencing uh, campaign um, in cooperation with the uh, US, uh, US. And from that, we could retrieve important information on the pathway of introduction in Europe. And therefore, we could improve then the controls and the checks at the port of, of entry in Europe, as well as we could date back when this uh, introduction of the bacterium occurred in Europe, and therefore we could understand better the evolution uh, under the, the uh, condition that occurred in Europe and predict the future progression of the, of the infection in, in our areas. And can you tell us a little bit more? About, I mean, you've mentioned already, but exactly what kind of plants are affected by this right now and could be in the future? For sure, olive is surely the, the most affected crop uh, with the, the epidemic situation in southern Italy. In the other uh, outbreaks that I mentioned before, the situation is much more uh, severe. Uh, we, are, mm, we say that we are facing more an, epi an endemic spread of the pathogen rather than uh, an epidemic like in southern Italy. Overall, in these uh, uh, outbreaks, more than 70 plant species are affected, but the most important are for sure olive and the almond. Uh, I have to say that uh, uh, we have also uh, detected in Europe and in, uh, in the Balearic Island in particular, uh, some strains that are known to be severe uh, on grapes. But fortunately, these strains are restricted to the Balearic Island and under the conditions occurring in the Iceland, they do not cause major damage on the vineyard so far. So thanks for this this uh, introduction. And actually, uh, the reason why we, we invited you in, in this uh, uh, podcast is to talk a bit more about this uh, uh, research project, the X. I don't know if it's X factors or XF actors. Anyway, there was also this conference with uh, together with the European Food Safety Agency. So, um, can you tell us a bit more about this uh, research project and also on its main outcomes? In Europe, uh, before the the first finding in 2013 of Xylella fastidiosa in in, uh, in olives in southern Italy, there was no research program investigating or specialized on this. Uh, pathogen. So uh, thanks to the European Commission with the H2020 program, they first uh, supported the project Conte and then uh, XF factors 
which uh, uh, represented the seed for a, a well-integrated network of multidisciplinary uh, research teams that all worked together to gather important knowledge on the pathogen and the interaction with the European and Mediterranean crops, flora and environment. Uh, in the framework of the project, we have developed the knowledge on the different uh, European outbreaks, mainly identified which are the plants that are most susceptible to the strains that, uh, of the bacterium that uh, we, we detected in Europe. And then another important uh, activity has been predicting the future scenario in, in Europe, and so modeling the spread and validating the approach of uh, remote sensing, uh, which are two important aspects uh, to help phytosanitary authorities to better plan the surveillance of their territories. We have also um, uh, evidence that some uh, crop species are immune or resistant to the bacterium. And this is uh, an aspect very important for those areas uh, where the pathogen is particularly aggressive, like uh, in southern Italy, because these plant species can be used to restore and regenerate the agriculture uh, on, uh, in these areas that are, uh, currently are completely destroyed. Uh, then another important uh, aspect tackled by the project uh, are the insect vectors, the so-called spittlebug. We know a lot now about uh, the lifestyle of this uh, insect, uh, on which plants they prefer to feed. Uh, we, we, and, and so with all this information, we can better plan uh, intervention, interventions to reduce the, their population and so to reduce uh, um, the, the spread of the bacteria. And talking about the spittle bug, I mean, we often speak about um, integrated pest management, and it seems this concept is is very difficult to apply to this bug, um, this main kind of bacteria carrier. So why is this so difficult? Uh, spittle bug uh, in the past have never been uh, attentioned by the scientists or farmers or growers as pests because actually they are harmless to plants. They do not cause any significant damages. Unfortunately, they, they proved to be carrier of the bacterium. So uh, in the area where exist, coexist the bacterium, they are highly attentioned because they are the responsible for the spread of the bacterium. And the, the difficulties in the management is that uh, this class of insects uh, are very polyphagous, so they can feed and live on different plants, and they have low capacity to perceive uh, volatiles or pheromones. This implies that strategies that generally are used for other pests, uh, like uh, trapping using attractants or pheromones, in this case, have uh, low or no efficacy at all. So we had to search for alternative strategies. And um, I mean, we have this uh, this clip, and we are about to listen to uh, the serenade of of uh, these uh, spittle bugs. Um, can you describe what we're going to hear and how you managed to record it, and how uh, this could be used? Yeah, since the, this uh, class of, uh, of insect does not use uh, chemical signals to communicate within the, the population, be, between the, the, the specimen, between the individuals, but they mainly use vibrational and acoustic signals. 
and these kind of signals are important for the mating of the of the of this insect. So uh, the, the research team of the foundation Edmund Mack uh, from Trento in Italy has investigated and recorded under laboratory conditions the signals that uh, the insects exchange uh, during mating. So for the first time uh, in the framework of the activity of the project, we they separate the male call and the female playback and uh, with the, the hope that in the future uh, artificial reproduction of these signals may help, for example, to disrupt mating and so therefore reduce the, the insect population in, in the crops. And I just have um, a last question. Um, so do you think this this kind of knowledge um, that you're using f- for treating this insect can also be transferred to other pests as well, hypothetically? Yes, because uh, um, nowadays we, we have... Uh, uh, developing uh, uh, strategies uh, with reduced use of uh, chemicals. And so using uh, uh, this kind of stimuli, like acoustic uh, or uh, vibrational stimuli, uh, can be used also in other insects to uh, help uh, the environmentally sustainable strategies uh, for, for their control. So now is the much-awaited moment. The moment you've all been waiting for, and no one more so than Gerardo. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So as, as we said during the interview, uh, we're talking about the serenade. It's the, the mating call. I mean, it's, it's not the actual... Where are you going with that? Copulation. It's... Um, <laughs> the bit before. Because our listeners are not watching this. And, you know, from the sound, they might think, it's an appropriate content, but actually we, we're here to hear this serenade of this uh, spittlebug. Mm, the spittlebug serenade is quite nice. Indeed, indeed. We celebrate love in this uh, podcast <laughs> in, in all forms. And uh, <laughs> let's listen to this clip. So I have to say, when I listened to this clip, firstly, I, I, I actually really enjoyed it. <laughs> I didn't think it was going to sound as, as cool as it did. It's amazing. <laughs> it's incredible. But um, also, I really did feel like it's really, you know, not out of place in a, in a rave, in a rave scene. I feel like this could be a new genre of music. I mean, I went to university in Bristol University and, you know, they were big on these alternative nights. And I just feel like if I played this music, I mean, this serenade, it would, it would not be out of place. You're giving our listeners also the background. No, you know, uh, you're in Bristol and uh, <laughs> my life this rave party. <laughs> Back when I was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Before, before joining your act. Um, <laughs> really, I'm, I'm speechless. It's tough, but I'm speechless. I've never known you speechless. This is the yeah. first. This is yeah. an exclusive and a first on the same podcast. Incredible. In other news, there's, I mean, we're moving from an insect to another. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was another uh, important news this week, which is about uh, the first edible insect 
whose marketing authorization was approved by the member states is the yellow mealworms. And we have another guest to talk about this. So here with us today, we have Christophe Derian, who is the uh, Secretary General of IPIF, the International Platform of Insects for Food and Feed, who's going to tell us a little bit more about this new, uh, new authorisation of this millworm. So the EU approved its first ever edible insect this week for uh, marketing authorization. It was a yellow mealworm. Um, and I'm wondering, could you tell us, I mean, how are these mealworms actually used? Like what products could we find them in? Mealworms are, are, are part of these few um, edible insects which can be used um, either as a whole product. So you can find those as a snack um, or you can also find those sometimes uh, in pasta or in other dishes. Uh, so either you find them as, as, a, as a whole animal uh, or you can also find them as a, as a powder. Uh, and this powder can be incorporated in, in a various range of products, uh, ranging from uh, biscuits, uh, food supplements uh, or burgers. These are a few examples of the products uh, which can be uh, based on insects uh, and notably um, yellow mealworm. So the product is very versatile. Many different uses are possible. And the next question is actually, why should consumers be interested in eating insects? I mean, what benefits uh, does eating insects offer, either uh, nutritionally or in terms of sustainability? So you, you've actually touched upon the two main elements, let's say, are the two main credentials or benefits associated with the consumption of insects. One is uh, the healthy uh, elements. So insects are very rich in protein, uh, numerous vitamins, including notably vitamin B12. Insects and insect-derived products are also very rich in uh, fatty acids, uh, which are essential for uh, for the populations and notably for elderly people or for um, people who have high uh, physical activity. Uh, yeah, a lot of benefits associated uh, from, from benefits associated with the use of insects from a nutritional point of view, but also looking at uh, on the environmental part. So insects uh, and insect-derived products have lower carbon footprint than the majority of that we are consuming and the uh, meat-derived uh, products. Products can be uh, or would very well fit as a complementary source of, of proteins, meat or other uh, vegetable, vegetable base. But insects, or at least in the next few years, we are not forecasting insects and insect-derived products to, to, to replace meat as such, but rather to complement those, those products. Um, and considering that uh, in, in Europe, we are forecasting that the consumption of meat um, might slightly decrease. Um, let's say that those, those, this, this meat that you wouldn't eat in the future, uh, that, that meat or that quantity of meat could, could very well be, be replaced by, uh, by insects. Mm. And you've actually touched upon my next question there, because I'm wondering what the, you know, what is the appetite actually like for eating insects in the EU? You know, are consumers open to this kind of idea, favourable to the idea of, of eating insects? Progress can, can, can be made in the sense like, I think um, now if you look at the, the, the figures, uh, market studies, uh, well, there is very few of those products which, which, which are being uh, consumed uh, at European level. 
One of the reasons is because those products are not today authorized in all EU countries. That's one element. Consumers might not necessarily be aware uh, of all those benefits associated with the consumption of insects. I've touched upon some of those before. And, and what we're noticing is that there is, at least in Europe, growing interest from consumers around the impacts uh, of food that we are eating. Tell those consumers all those, those, those benefits that are associated with the consumption of those products. We would expect, let's say, uh, the consumption of insects to grow quite rapidly. Um, also, we have to mention the fact that uh, there are already a couple of niche or specialized markets for insects as food. I've mentioned before, I think, sports nutrition, food supplement. Uh, these are a few of those niche markets uh, which currently exist. And with this first novel food, uh, insect novel food authorization expected in the next few weeks, and, and, and the, the, the new ones or the, the following ones to come up in the next few months, uh, we expect those, those markets, those specialized markets to grow very rapidly in the future. The last question is also on, um, you know, the buzz about the, the potential that insects uh, hold as a food product. And we talk about this right, right now. But I mean, there's less attention on uh, the role that insects could play as animal feed. You know, maybe you could uh, tell us a bit more about this. Uh, are feedstuffs likely to include insects in the future? Uh, what benefit it offers? And, and is there, you know, any movement on this issue? Well, actually, the, the, the use of insects for animal feed is a reality today in Europe. So uh, a couple of, of feed manufacturers are already incorporating uh, insect proteins, uh, notably for feed intended for aquaculture animals as well as for pet food. Uh, the reason for that is that those two markets are those currently authorized in the European Union. Uh, however, as you might be aware, we're expanding those uses to be extended to a few other species, and notably to poultry and pigs, um, because uh, the European Union uh, is expected to authorize the use of insect proteins for those two, uh, two animal species. Uh, at the end of the summer or after the summer 2021. So that's already a reality in, in animal feed. Uh, the quantities that are being produced remain relatively limited today. Uh, this is due to the fact that, um, well, as, as you can easily imagine, the sector is relatively new, uh, still to some extent in its infancy. So we don't have all the, at least in Europe, the, the production capacity, capacities remain relatively limited today, but the sector is, is, is growing uh, massively and very rapidly. Um, and coming back to your, your first question about the, the benefits associated with the use of those products uh, in animal feed. So for those uh, species in which the product is already authorized, uh, notably aqua feed and pet food, there are nutritional benefits associated with the use of those products. When it comes to uh, helping the animals to grow, um, uh, rapidly, and also uh, there are a lot of studies demonstrating uh, the functionality benefits of, of those products in the animal feed uh, and, and for those particular species. Uh, to be more specific, in the case of, of insect products, many of those, all those products, and notably the fat or the chitin uh, from the insects, have antimicrobial properties, which are beneficial, of course, for those animals. And also, there are some studies showing the high 
poallergenicity potential of those insect species which are used in animal feed. And that is notably relevant in the case of pet food animals. So if you, if you want to, to feed your dog or your cat with highly nutritious uh, materials and with products which are good for, for his or her health, uh, incorporating insect proteins in their ratio is a very reliable and very uh, interesting solution. And we move to the uh, latest story of our podcast. It was a busy week, we can say that. Yeah, there's lots going on this week. We can introduce this news uh, with a quote, with a musical reference, uh, as uh, Sia uh, used to to sing. (laughs) Uh, You shot me down, but I won't fall. I am titanium dioxide. But this will fall, actually. Yeah, yeah, this will fall. This will fall in the. Yeah, it's yeah. not. Like, it's not like uh, Sia sang. It's, it's actually no. falling. Uh, <laughs> can you tell a bit more about this? I have actually had this song in my head since since I since I wrote this. But actually, I mean, it's actually a very serious topic. Um, there's this uh, this food additive called titanium dioxide that you may or may not have heard of. Um, it's in a lot of products, a lot of food products, things like cakes and soups and broths and sauces things like that it's everywhere natasha it's everywhere it's everywhere it's also in toothpaste it's in uh cosmetics sun sun cream things like that um this basically makes things white that's its kind of its sole purpose at least as a food additive it's superpower make things white yeah yeah that is its superpower that's its um yeah exactly um it doesn't so it doesn't have any flavor um anything else it's not technical for anything it's just a some kind of white uh, food colorant and for years there's been this big debate over titanium dioxide basically because um it's made up of these really really tiny particles these nanoparticles and there's been a concern that these nanoparticles can kind of find their way in, you know, through the natural protective barriers of the human body. So there's been a big debate. Actually, it ended up, um, we saw France actually banning the use of this um, food additive uh, a couple of years ago. And we've been discussing, lots of people have been discussing this for the last over the last decade, basically. And this week, uh, the European Food Safety Agency, EFSA, uh, f- uh, they released a new opinion about this. They had one opinion back in 2016, and then they've revised this, looked at new evidence, and they've released a new opinion which found that uh, titanium dioxide is unsafe. Um, so this is paving the way, basically, for an EU-wide ban on the substance. And this, as we said, it's everywhere. It's in so many things. So this is actually going to have a, a huge impact on the industry and how they're going to have to reformulate all of these products that this is in. Um, so the reason that they concluded it was unsafe uh, is basically because they, they couldn't rule out a concern for genotoxicity, which basically means um, you know, the ability of a chemical substance to damage DNA, um, which then could lead to carcinogenic effects. There's thought that could have you know, some cancer link potentially with this food additive. And, and also something is moving because, I mean, it seems that the, the commission is, uh, is actually... Mm-hmm. Yeah, super quickly um, is willing to um, propose uh, a ban mm-hmm. of uh, this titanium dioxide in the next uh, weeks. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's not imminent. No, not not indeed, indeed. Because it wasn't highlighted that it was, you know, it wasn't an acute health concern, so it wasn't imminent. But um, the commission is basically 
they have said, they've confirmed um, that they will be proposing to member states that they should withdraw titanium dioxide um, from the union list of food additives. Um, and there'll be this kind of transition period yeah. um, where there'll be a discussion between the commission and um, and member states, you know, to kind of figure out how they're going to substitute this substance that, yeah, as yeah. we said, is everywhere. Um I mean, after the proposal, um, this uh, this proposal needs the the approval from uh, the member state. In the, it's actually in the standing committee that approved also the first uh, insect. So the, ah, the yes. famous COPAF comes back again. Yeah, 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 yeah. So of course we're gonna cover this uh, every development of this very interesting story. So that's all from us this week. And this week, like every week, the Euractiv Agri-Food podcast was produced by Euractiv's Agri-Food news team. That's Gerardo Fortuna and Natasha Foote, with the help of Euractiv's podcast producer, Evie Curie. And you can also find this podcast on all major streaming platforms. So that includes Apple, Amazon, Spotify and Stitcher. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter so you don't miss the latest agriculture news from the EU. I'm Gerardo Fortuna. Thanks for listening and see you next week. This podcast is part of Euractiv's project Beyond Agriculture, funded by the IMCAP program of the European Union. The content of this podcast represents the views of the author only and is his, her sole responsibility. The European Commission does not accept any responsibility for use that may be made of the information it contains.